Frederick Douglass said, find out just what any people will quietly submit to, and you have exactly the measure of injustice and wrong which will be imposed on them. Sometimes inaction breeds action. Are you willing to fight? Are you willing to stand up for what you think is wrong? I'm attorney Candace Colucci, and this is Legal Gangster. Don't get it twisted, huh? I'm on my mission, oh yeah, 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 yeah. New rebels, new rebels, we the new rebels, yeah. On May 25th, 2020, George Floyd, an unarmed black man, was killed in the streets of Minneapolis by a police officer. The video has become viral, and the video clearly shows um, Mr. Floyd on the ground for about four minutes with an officer who has his knee on his neck and proceeds to um, kill him. So you watch the video and, and he dies while the camera is rolling in front of other people. So what I was thinking about when I saw the video, it, um, it, was, it was heartbreaking. It was really heartbreaking because I really do try to see things from an officer's perspectives. The reason why we have a level of safety is that there are police officers and there are good ones. I know them. But I also know officers who are vigilantes, criminals with a badge. I did years of criminal defense, so I've dealt with them. I've seen them lie on the stand. And um, this is not the first time that I've seen them take advantage of their power and murder people. The, I think the most traumatizing part of the whole video was that after seeing the video, one of the reports that came out was <clears throat> the police had initially claimed that Mr. Floyd had suffered a medical episode while struggling with the officers, which is clearly not the case in that video. So thank God for the person who recorded it. But what I realized is that we have to take a stand. I'm not a fan of looting. I am a fan of protesting, of fighting against things that you believe are wrong. And that video and police not being held accountable is tragic and it's disappointing. And so what I'm hoping by talking about it and putting out there is that I hope that through education, one day we can get closer to ending racism. And Jane Elliott is a activist who believes in education. She believes that racism is based on ignorance, that lack of knowledge, that when you see a black person, there are people who have attached wrongfully stereotypes about them that are based on ignorance, that they're not equal, that they are all criminals, and then that judge that that dictates the way they're going to act. So I've listened to her, I've spoken to her, and she resonated with me and changed the way I think. And I think I'm progressive. I am I called myself biracial, but realized that's not what you're what she says you shouldn't say, is that we're all one race, we're just different colors. But listening to her, I felt that's exactly what I hope to achieve. I hope to be able to put that information into other people's hands and change someone else's views about 
someone who is not the same color as them. And so that's what I hope that you get out of it. Hope you listen to her. I hope you're educated. And I hope together we stand up against things that we know are wrong. And this was wrong. So we have Jane Elliott today on our podcast. So where it all started was, as everyone's probably very aware of the situation that has happened with George Floyd, I um, finally watched the video this morning and it was very extremely disturbing. And so I talked to some people on my staff about really talking about it and talking about some of those issues and your name came up from somebody in my office who said that you were a hero and oh, so uh, <laughs> an educator and I yeah, got the pleasure to talk to you before this and you were incredibly moving so could you introduce yourself and just tell us a little about yourself oh well I'm a short fat old white woman as white as anybody can be, there is no such thing as white woman. I realize that. What I am is a faded black person, which is what every, yeah, that's what we all are, whether we want to admit it or not. Because in my DNA, there is a small percentage of, a DN, of, my, of my DNA, which came from a country in Africa, because we are all descendants of those first modern human beings who evolved in sub-Saharan Africa between 300,000 and 500,000 years ago. Therefore, we are all partially black. We need to get over the idea of white. What we are is pale people or faded people, but we are not white. That's what I am, number one. And that's what irritates people about me because I realized that the day after Martin Luther King Jr. was killed, and I put my blue-eyed, brown-eyed students, white students, also called white students, third graders, through an exercise in discrimination based on the color of their eyes. I learned this from Adolf Hitler. It was one of the ways they decided who went into the gas chamber during what has been called the Holocaust. They put you in the they would put you in the gas chamber, you, the person who was interviewing me, because your eyes aren't blue. Yeah. The Aryan race was race nation was described as blue-eyed, blonde-haired white people. And those were the ones Hitler was going to reproduce all over the world and do away with those of us who were other than blue-eyed, blonde-haired, and white. So the day after he did that, and I put my third graders, all so-called white third graders, through an exercise in discrimination, I learned more than they did. I learned, number one, that I'm a racist. When my students, when I told my blue-eyed students that they had the right to, no, my brown-eyed people were on top the first day that year. And blue-eyed students immediately, brown-eyed students immediately attacked me because I had the wrong color eyes. The little, I'll never forget little Debbie sitting in the front row who said, hey, Miss Elliott, how come you're the teacher here if you've got them blue eyes? I told mm -hmm. her that brown-eyed people were superior and they immediately, immediately began to act the way I have acted all my life as a so-called white person. I learned more than I wanted to know. I didn't want to know that I had been teaching a lie ever since I was born, learning it since I was born and teaching it the minute I was able to talk. It's what we do. It's what we learn in school. We learn the perfection of the rightness of whiteness. And if you the aren't white enough, you better not hang again. around. That was amazing. The, the perfection, perfection of the rightness of whiteness. That's what our social studies courses are about. Yeah. And when I went to the University of Northern Iowa, which was called Iowa State Teachers College at that time, to learn how to be a teacher, our first social studies, elementary social studies professor said to the group of students, 
When you get into the classroom, you must not teach in opposition to local mores, and that's spelled M-O-R-E, <laughs> mores. The people who are paying your wages through their taxes have the right to have their children learn what they want them to learn. Mm -hmm. Now, as a freshman in college, I knew he was wrong, but I didn't stand up and say, Mr. Professor, you're wrong. I didn't dare. I wanted to get a grade. So I kept my mouth shut, and I went along to get along. And that's what people of color have been doing in this country for 235 years minimum. They've been going along to get along. It says in the Bible, <laughs> as you sow, so shall ye reap. And we are now reaping that which we have sown. If you can expect, yeah. if you, I'm really angry. You probably don't want to talk to me because I'm really angry. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm not just frustrated. I'm angry. And if I were black, I would have been killed a long time ago because I don't believe in going along to get along. And yep. a lady called me this week and asked me to come and be on a panel. And I said, uh, what are you going to be discussing? She said, we're going to be discussing the need to comply with the law. I said, to become complacent. She said, well, well, I don't mean, a wait a minute. If you mean to comply with the law, you are saying to me, sit down and take it. Mm -hmm. No, no, you don't want me down that panel. And she said, well, what would you say? <laughs> Number one, I'd say you're totally, absolutely wrong about what you're telling black people to do. They have been doing that absolutely. in this country for over 200 years. Mm -hmm. Isn't 200 years long enough? Absolutely. No, I don't think they should comply with the law. I think we should change the damned law. And here's a book that I'm telling anybody who's watching this podcast, get it and read it because the color they, of law, the color by, of law Rothstein. by Rothstein, Richard Rothstein, okay. get this book and read it. You have to realize that the laws in this country have been and are and will be written by people who believe in the lie of three or four different races. It's a lie. It isn't a myth. The book, The Myth of Race by Robert Wald Sussman is also something that everyone should read but the title is a mis misnomer. Mm -hmm. A myth of, law, of race is not a myth, it's a, a lie. It's a flat out lie. Oh, you're breaking up a little bit, Jane. To make it all right to kill people of color. I'm sorry, you're still not hearing me? Yep, you were oh. breaking up just a little bit. Okay. But what we I, heard was to kill people of color. That's right. That's what the that's what the that's what that myth called the myth of race was made up during the Spanish Inquisition because Torquemado and company realized that they couldn't tell what your religion was by looking at you. They had killed several several Christians before they realized that they were Christians. You can't tell what a person's religion is by looking at them. So they decided they'd have to find another way to decide who to kill, and they set upon skin color. That's mm. where this whole thing started. It has it nothing to do with being <laughs> smarter than, less than, or a member of a different race. There is only one race of people on the face of the earth, and that is the human race. And isn't that what, so we were talking before, and I said that, I was biracial, and my dad's and black, said, my mom's white. And what did you say? I said, no, you're not biracial. Give it up. 
you are using a term that was invented in the 15th and 16th century to solve problems in the 21st century. We have to stop that. There's no such, which one of your parents came from outer space? Because if neither one of them did, you can't be biracial. You are a member of the human race. And if you haven't read the book, Sapiens, and I can't remember the author's name, but it's S-A-P-I-E-N-S, -E and it tells how homo sapiens, human beings, came to be. You need to read that book. People need to self-educate now. They have been grossly misled and miseducated in schools all over the United States of America, and they are still, it is still happening. We are still providing racist education in the schools in this country. We've got to put a stop to it, and you won't realize how much your life is dictated by racism until you read The Color of Law. It's, laws were written by men who didn't know any better. And they are still being Obviously. written by men who, didn't, who don't know any better. I want you to tell me about the quote from Frederick Douglass. Without struggle, there is no progress. Oh, God. Oh, God. He said, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. Power concedes nothing without a demand. Without demand. It never had, did, and it never will. Find out what any people will quietly submit to, and you have found out the exact measure of injustice and wrong which will be imposed upon them. And these will continue until they are resisted with either words, those who profane, prof profess, profess to favor freedom and yet deprecate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. That's what Frederick Douglass said. Now, I was lucky a year ago and I got, was given the Frederick Douglass Award for Humane Education. That's, those statements should be required for every lawyer, every educator, every school administrator, Every person who graduates from high school should have those inscribed in their brains because this is what this racist situation is all about. We say, and the man, the woman who called me today said, we want to help people to comply with the law. Not when the law is a racist law. You must not exactly. comply. Getting right along. <laughs> no, this, you, is bad you have this is bad for every reason to be pressure. upset because you want to know what, that's what's happened before. So when we've had these outrageous, more recently, when black people have been murdered by the police officers, one of the issues that have come up is, are they resisting? What were they in trouble for? So people have come out and said, well, if they didn't resist, and if they complied, this wouldn't have happened. So you have a reason to be outraged, like so many other ones, because that doesn't justify it. And not to mention is that, change has come through us standing up for things that we think were wrong. There was a time when it was written in black and white from our own government that blacks were considered an entire person. They weren't considered equal. And because three it was fourths. written by our government, three-fourths, yeah, three-fourths. Three and because it was in written, the Constitution. we were supposed to follow it. So that's what we've, that's how we've made change. So it's completely reasonable to be enraged and that's where we're at now they're asking us to comply to the things that we know feel and see are wrong but there's something even more threatening than that and more frightening and more disgusting and more despicable in that the people who are educating our students today haven't been educated 
They have been schooled and they have been trained. I'm an educator. The word educator comes from the root duck deuce, which means lead, the prefix e, which means out, the suffix ate, which means the act of, and the suffix or, which means one who does. An educator is one who is engaged in the act of leading people out of ignorance. You cannot do that if you're still teaching that Columbus discovered America. You can't discover a place where people are already living. They discovered it before you got there. You cannot call that education. You can call that indoctrination. Now, if this kind of thing, and we knew about it, was happening in Russia, we would say they are brainwashing their students. That's what we have been doing in this country for 200 and some years. We've been brainwashing children of all ages to the idea of the rightness of whiteness and the unfortunateness of those who are foolish enough to be born black. And I remember we were talking about something else and you were telling me when you had spoke to a black woman and you made a statement to her um, about, I can't remember exactly what it was. Two black was. women, I was working for US yeah. West. <laughs> And they had hired me to do the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise with U.S. West employees. And we were talking about what we were going to do with that exercise on the next day with 40 employees. And I said to those two women, oh, your color doesn't bother me. And they said, it doesn't bother us either, Jane. And I said, oh, God, I've done it, haven't I? They said, yeah, yeah, you've done it. But you'll know better after tomorrow. I said, I know better today. I'll never say that again. So when... Later on, when that same woman and I, Linda Guillory, were standing in <laughs> the lobby of a hotel in downtown Denver, Colorado, some blooming white, foolish, liberal, white woman wearing heels, you know, this high, came diddling across the floor. Now, diddling to me is the dictionary definition of taking short, quick little steps. And that's what she was do doing. She came diddling up to us and she <laughs> said to Linda Guillory, when I see you, Linda, I don't see you black. And I stepped back because I thought, oh, God, there's going to be bloodshed here. And I've got to wear this suit tomorrow. So I stepped back. And Linda Guillory very pleasantly said to her, I think you have an eye problem. Let's make an appointment with the optometrist so that we can get your eyes fixed so that you can see my color. That woman diddled away to us from us faster than she had gotten up to us. And I'll bet you that she never says that to anyone again as long as she lives. I have had the, I have heard not only during the exercise, but as I was working in school, I had, and as I was going to school, <laughs> and as I was working on a master's degree, instructors would say, with a perfectly, perfectly straight face, I'm colorblind, I don't see color. And when some white woman says that to me, I say, you wouldn't have had to tell me that you're colorblind. I knew that if you weren't colorblind, you wouldn't wear that shirt with those pants. And they take <laughs> offense at that because I have, I have insulted them. But you see, they have offended me by saying that they are willing to deny that they see the largest organ on a person's body if that organ happens to be black skin. Inch for yep. inch, your skin is the largest organ on your body. And for somebody to say to me that they don't okay. see a black person because of the color of their skin, that says to me that that person is too ignorant for me to listen to again. So I make it impossible for them, for me to listen to them because I bombard them with how stupid can, now this, and I shouldn't say stupid because they aren't stupid. They're ignorant. ignorant. You can't fix stupid. You can fix ignorant with education. 
Amen. But not with the kind of yeah, a women. But you can't do that with the kind of, <laughs> a woman. <laughs> I like that. Well, your local minister won't. In fact, <laughs> I used to say that in the church here in Osage, and the minister came out one day, and after he had tried to convince me about everything else or let me talk a little, then he said to me, Jane, as he was leaving, Jane, would you do me a favor? I said, sure. What is it? He said, uh, would you find another church in the future? I said, well, yeah, if you want me to, but why? And he said, because it, it upsets my parishioners when you use different language in the hymns. Nice. <laughs> I said, Isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah. I said, well, bless you. My I thought all oh, were welcome around right here. <laughs> I laughed and I wouldn't let anyone. He said, and, and you see, we live out in the country because they didn't want to sell us a house when we moved to Osage because of what I do for a living. So we bought a house out in the country <laughs> and it's right next to an old Baptist church. And he, he said to me, as he was standing in the entry to my home, he said, you've got a church next door. Why don't you start a church of your own? You can say whatever you want to. I said, I think I might. Would you like to join? He said, no, I won't. <laughs> I laughed him all the way to his car. And I never went back to the church because I don't want to upset the parishioners by letting them know that God is a spirit and has neither gender nor color. So and, that God did not, and that God did not create racism. God created one race, the human race. Human beings created racism. So now, if I were ever to go back to that church, I would go wearing this shirt, which says, God created one race, one race. the human race. human race, human beings created racism. I think everybody should have that shirt and should wear it. I think we're going to have to re retrain and re-educate every person from birth to death in this country, because it's, we have lived the lie long enough. It is destroying us. If you sow the wind, you will reap the whirlwind, and that's what we're doing right now. And that's where we're at now. That's Why at. did people not want you to move into the neighborhood? <laughs> because I have, I am called. Tell me. The only N-word lover in Mitchell County. Stop it. <laughs> no, no, yes, that's horrible. Yes, and that's, and that's no, 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 it's not. Because I'd much rather be a lover than a hater. Absolutely. Hey, <laughs> when people say that word to me, I say, thank you very much. I have yep. been taught by my father that God is love mm -hmm. and you love your neighbor, regardless of that neighbor's color, gender, gender orientation, size, weight, nationality, you love your neighbor and every person, because I believe <laughs> that we are all members of the same race, that means I am the 30th to 50th cousin of every other human being on the face of the earth. And when you kill one of my black cousins, I get really angry. And then when you blame it on skin color, that even makes me more angry because skin color is not the reason we are killing black people. Ignorance of the white people who believe that skin color is an indicator of intelligence or worth as a human being is the problem. The problem is ignorance. And that problem is the result of bad education. That, that was absolutely amazing to put that together. And I think that's exactly what you're, what you're saying that is so imperative that people understand that it's not the color of the skin it has to do with the ignorance that people are attaching to that. That they have learned to attach. They have to learned. It. If you like, think back on your social studies classes, you learned that all the inventing and creating and discovering and civilizing was done by white males. Absolutely. That is ridiculous. 
Because if you read the book, Anthony Browder's book, Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization, you will soon come to realize that we teach, we teach one month of black history in schools in this country. We sacrifice month. one month for black history. What we have forgotten to realize is black history is over 4,000 years old. Absolutely. Blacks were in Egypt 4,000 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. You've got to read Anthony Browder's work. It is absolutely brilliant. I absolutely will. Everything I've learned from you has just resonated with me. And it's so important to me that as many people as we can get the information to, we can start to make some type of change. There's an easy way to get it to them. Get this magazine. You see those two little girls? Mm -hmm. They're twins. Oh, they, they're their beautiful. Parents, of course they're beautiful. They're twins. You must read this issue of National Geographic Magazine. It's the April 2018 issue of National Geographic Magazine. If you read this magazine, you will realize that there's only one race on the face of the earth. You'll get the whole nonsense about racism out of your head. And those black people left the area of the equator and populated every landmass on the face of the earth. Every human being on the face of the earth is a descendant of those first modern human beings who were black. You have to get this into your head. You have to get this map and have it blown up and put it on the wall behind you where all those other things are. Put this up there instead. Yeah, put this up instead of Colucci Law Group. Put this up. <laughs> because I don't learn anything by looking at Colucci Law Group. That's true. But I do learn something up by, I do learn something by looking at this map. It is absolutely fascinating when you realize that as people left the equator, their bodies produced less and less melanin because they were exposed to less and less sunlight. So as we got farther and farther from the equator, our skin, our hair, and our eyes got lighter, but our brains did not get smaller. Now, those black people managed to do that without any modern technology. It took us how many years to get to the moon? It took them a lot of years to get from the area of the equator into this continent, and they did. Native Americans, when you compare the, a picture of a Native American chief and an African chief, you're going to be absolutely astounded when you realize how many how similar their features are. Mm -hmm. And when you compare Abraham Lincoln to any other president, and you, see, and you read the articles about the length of his hands and his feet and his, his bones, and the color of his skin and his crinkly black hair, then automatically you realize, oh my God, our first black president was Abraham Lincoln. Our first black president was Abraham Lincoln. I love it. He was, according to the stuff I've read, he was part black, part white, and part Cherokee Indian. And there were a whole lot of people in that area of Kentucky that were the same. They were part black, part white, and part Cherokee Indian because at that time, people were just people but they had to be taught that it's wrong to see people as people. They have to be better people and worse people based on the amount of a chemical in their skin, which is ridiculous. For years, we had miscegenation laws. You couldn't marry out of your race, for God's sake. Now, think about this. You can't cross a cat with a dog and get a dad or a cog because they're two different species, but you can cross people of different color groups and get brilliant, beautiful, 
absolutely positive human beings. So it's time to get rid of the myth, the lie, the lie of race has to be wiped out. Who was it said? I <laughs> uh, can't remember. Anyway, he said, no power on earth will stop a man with a dream or an idea whose time has come. No power on earth could stop Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. Mm. We stopped him. We stopped his heart. But we didn't stop his dream. It is more alive now than it was when he was living. No power on earth is going to be able to stop the idea of one race, the human race, because that's an idea whose time has come. We have lived with this ignorance long enough now. If you are a racist and you're going to continue to believe in the rightness of whiteness, if you're going to use 15th and 16th century vocabulary and philosophy, then you have to, if you're male, you have to wear knee breeches and buckles on your shoes. And if you're female, you have to wear pantaloons and pantalettes and long skirts and corsets that will keep you from being able to breathe well. And you will have to travel only by foot or by horse-drawn carriage. Absolutely. If you're going to go back to the 14th and 15th century, let's do go it all the way. way. Let's go all the way by All God. the way. By God, let's go all the way. Let's do it in, with, the, with the word of God ringing in our ears, which says we're all members of the family of man. It doesn't say we're all members of different races. It says we are all members of the family of man. Now, someday we'll change it to the family of woman because without woman, you couldn't have man. Okay, okay. We won't get into that. Great. Agreed. <laughs> and I think what you had said to me that I found so beautiful was you had said that we're different colors. We're one race. Absolutely. There's only one race of human beings on the face of the earth. Different faces aren't different races. We've got to get over that idea. We've got to get over the idea that the darker your skin, the less human you are. Yeah. But if we don't get over it, we will continue to have things happen like, like what happened in this country in Minneapolis this yes. week. And which happens, Absolutely. this one, this one was on television. All so the other don't get on television. That. So George Floyd in Minneapolis. So the video has surfaced of, I think it was four different cops, but specifically one cop that has wait, him wait, laying wait, on the wait, ground. They weren't, wait a minute. They weren't four different cops. They were all the same cops in four different bodies. Mm. Make no mistake about this. They were not four different cops. If they had been four different cops, at least one of them would have refused to take the Fifth Amendment when they questioned him. They all took the Fifth Amendment. So no, they aren't four different cops. Go ahead. I can't agree more. That's exactly right. So what we saw in the video, and I watched it today for the first time, I couldn't necessarily bring myself to watch it when it first started surfing. So this morning, really early, I sat there and I watched it and it broke my soul because I'm always a person that tried as an attorney to be, to demand the evidence, anything that has gone viral, I'm real careful before I get verbal about taking a side without saying, show me the evidence, show me the testimony, show me the affidavits, like, give me all of that um, before I make a decision and rile people up. But this one, the video could stand alone. It didn't matter what he did before. What mattered was what we saw during those minutes when an officer crushed his neck and killed him while he, I think, 
12 different times, told them that he couldn't breathe. And see, I did criminal defense first. So I understand that police officers have the right and sometimes have to use force to restrain people. I completely understand that. That's not what happened here. He was already down on the ground. He was in handcuffs, which as some people don't know from a legal perspective, is that when someone's in handcuffs, it changes the level of responsibility that the police officers have. They have now undertook an, an, a different level of duty to make sure that you are safe. And so while he was in handcuffs with another officer on his lower half, and then the main officer with me on his neck, and then another officer who's just literally standing, walking around, making sure nobody intervenes or stops anything. So mm -hmm. that could never be the least restrictive means by putting the neck, putting his knee on his neck. So I know the world's enraged. They've started to protest. There's looting, which is a whole different, whole different issue, which I think it's a redirection that the media has become so obsessed with it. I'm not a fan of looting but I am a fan of standing up for things that are not right. And that was murder. And what pissed me off the most is that they didn't arrest him as soon as they saw the video. Anybody else, they will arrest people, even if it's wrongfully, from one person's statement. And then they'll take you to court or dismiss the charges and say, I'm sorry, or have you, show, have you spend 30 years in jail and then apologize for it. So, but because he's a police officer, they didn't arrest him and said they were going to do this investigation. And then we had this whole madness that has, has transpired. Um, so I'm sure that that has resonated with you. So what are your thoughts about what's happening there and what do you think is going to happen as, as a whole to the world? Number one, what's happening there is what has been happening in this country since we got here, since we brought in our first slaves from England. That's what's happening here. And what is happening here is what happens in Christian churches every Sunday morning, in which you sit in the pew and look at the picture of Jesus behind the minister. And Jesus is in that picture, a pale skinned person with light hair and, and an aquiline nose and looks the way you expect. A Western European person to look. That's what's happening here. It's happening every morning when your kids go to school and they have to say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag with their hand over their heart and say, one nation under God, indivisible. Now, when I was in school, the words under God were not in the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. You know, when they were put in there? No. During President Eisenhower's reign. I think it was like 1955, maybe. They were put in there after I, got, after I got out of high school. So I had to relearn the pledge with the words under God in it. And when I was teaching, I had to require that my students say the words under God in the pledge. And I used to say to them, look, kids, I know some of you don't believe in God. You do not have to say the words under God in the pledge in this classroom because I am required to teach in a way that separates church and state. So the words mm -hmm. under God don't belong in that pledge, but you can say them if you want to, but you are not required to. And I wouldn't say them, and I don't say them today, because I don't believe you have the right to force religion on you in, while, you're, while you're pledging allegiance to what? A piece of cloth hanging mm -hmm. on the wall? 
Give yeah. me a break. I am absolutely in favor of what Colin Kaepernick did. He refused to absolutely. stand. He refused to stand for the Star Spangled Banner because the last line is, oh, say does that Star Spangled Banner yet wave for the land of the free and the home of the brave. I'm a member of free. I live in the land of the free. My black friends and my black relatives live in the home of the brave. I am completely free to do, say, and be whatever I choose, as long as I stay within the confines of the law that was written for my comfort and my freedom. Mm -hmm. It was not written for the comfort and freedom of all of us. And those who, who know that it doesn't include them are the ones who live in the land of the brave. I don't have to be brave to walk out of my classroom, out of my home in the morning. I don't have, I didn't have to be, well, I did have to be. After I started doing the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise with my students, our four children were in that school. And after a couple of years, the principal's wife came to me and she was teaching at the upper level and said, Jane, get your kids out of this school. These teachers are trying to destroy your children. Mm -hmm. They couldn't hurt me, but they were trying to destroy me through my children. So we moved, broke my kids' hearts to move, except that now they will no longer have to take the beatings and the verbal abuse that they got from their peers, from their teachers and from the parents of their peers because they had an N-word lover for a mother. It was a relief for them Disgusting. to get out of that situation. And, and you see, that's what I went through, but I chose to do that. Yeah. I, I choose when I go through airports to talk to my daughter or whoever I'm with, and I choose to have people hear this Midwestern twang, and I choose that. And I know I won't be treated unfairly because of it, but I know that sometimes, and I wear the sweatshirt that says, prejudice is an emotional commitment to ignorance because I think people have to see that and realize that I'm not messing around. And I watch people's faces as they come toward me. White, some white males come and they, and you know, the first thing a person, a white male looks at is your breast. And so they look at that and then they read that and they get this awful angry look on their faces and they glare at me. And sometimes they woke up, walk up and they stand over in me and say, you're that blue eyed, brown eyed bitch. And I say, thank you very much. Thank I'm you very much. Oh yeah, thank you very much because I'm supposed to be intimidated by being called bitch. But you see, for me, bitch is an acronym for being in total control, honey. And when Amen. Somebody, a women. When a woman. Says, I'm going to start saying it. A woman. It's true. When somebody says that to me, I say, you're out of control, aren't you, darling? But I can take care of that for you. And I reach in my pocket as if to pull out a, a fruit knife, a Lorena Bobbitt fruit knife. Now, I don't carry a Lorena, a Lorena Bobbitt fruit knife. Well, I do, but I don't carry it on the plane because they take them away from me. So <laughs> the airline must have several, several fruit knives someplace put away because they take them away from me. And they, they take away my little sewing scissors too, because they don't know what I'm going to do with them since I wear this objectionable sweatshirt. So it's, it becomes for me because I'm white and I can get away with whatever I choose. I can do that. Black women wouldn't dare do what I do their lives wouldn't be worth a plug nickel if they do what I do. Because we have proof this week that it's all right to kill blacks who Absolutely. upset you. And that's, that's the worst message that we're getting today is it's all right to kill somebody if they are threatening. And that man was tall and strong. Yeah, and he muscular. was. Yeah, and he could look down on all the guys that were pinning him if they would let him stand. So first they made him sit against the wall and then two of them led him over to the car 
and he didn't want to get into the car, and so they threw him on the ground, and the one who put his knee on that man's neck had his hand in his, the left pocket of his own pants while he was holding that man down. Now, what was going on with that? Yeah. Yeah, think about, think about all the ramifications of this, and think about the real ugliness of this, and then be glad that they have now arrested that man. He is I know, under we just arrest. heard while yeah, we were doing is. all of this, getting everything prepared. Yeah, and well, what also disgusts me the most is every single news article that then decides that they want to bring up his past criminal behavior. Because anything to make them feel better about what happened to assume past, all those things. Past, the past, criminal be, the past criminal their behavior is they're talking about was the past criminal behavior of the cop. No, but no, I've, I've just read a couple of articles that talk about what he's been arrested prior for. Uh-huh. Well, talk about, talk about what the cop was accused of prior to this one. Like 12 incidents like Complaints, this. shootings, yes. yeah. Yes. So you see, after he had had the first three, he should have been fired then because oh. he was an accident that waiting happen. to happen. So they kept him on and made, it, made sure that it would happen. And here we are. And now he has the right not to testify against himself. So he can plead the fifth at the same time that a bunch of gun owners are pleading their right to bear arms because of the second amendment to the constitution. Well, you see, they don't read the whole amendment because it says you have the right to bear arms as the member of a government organized militia. Those men standing on those steps when this was, when this was happening are not, and were not members of a government organized militia. They were members of a group of haters who are going to, who are trying to intimidate the community by carrying those huge arms and wearing <laughs> military garb. And it is unconstitutional and it is in every way, shape and form unchristian. Mm-hmm. When, when, when we white folks, so-called, when we pale faces get over the idea that Jesus was a white male, we're gonna be better off. And when we get over the idea that Mary a Jewess in the Nile Valley in the Middle East was a dark-skinned woman with dark hair and dark eyes instead of blonde, pale, and blue-eyed, we're going to be better off because we're going to deal with reality instead of the lie. If you want to learn how to be a racist, go to church. Sit there in the pew. I never thought about it from your perspective. Of course, you don't have to think about it. You look like someone who is acceptable. Because you got fair skin and you've got, I don't know what color your hair is. looks interesting today, but I don't know what color. It, <laughs> it looks like it might be brown. Brown. <laughs> See, this, is not, this is not an acceptable color. What I have here is an acceptable color because it says I'm old and I'm opinionated and I want things to change in a positive way. Absolutely. I'm tired of living. I'm tired of living in the 1920s. This is the 2020s. It's time to get over it now. Go on. So you've seen a lot. And I know you brought up Martin Luther King Jr. What do you remember from his murder? Oh, God. See, I, I can't remember that day without getting sick to my stomach. I was teaching third grade in the community in which my father, my great-grandfather, and my great-grandfather my great-grandfather was one of the first settlers. And I thought I was okay. 
And I was teaching my third grade students about Martin Luther King Jr. because he was one of our heroes of the month in February. I thought he was doing the right thing. And I went home and we were studying the Indian unit at the time. And we were learning all about these people who owned this land before we got here and from whom we stole it. We were going to learn that on Friday, we were to learn the Sioux Indian prayer that says, oh great spirit, keep me from ever judging a man until I've walked a mile in his moccasins. I went home from school that night and I had this teepee that my previous year's third graders had made. We were going to put it up in the classroom the next day. We were going to paint it with Indian symbols chosen by white folks. We were going to read Indian poetry written by white folks. We were going to read Indian stories written by white folks. And we were going to learn that Sioux Indian prayer. I walked in the door of my house and the phone was ringing. I answered the telephone, it was my sister. And she said, is your, is your, your television on? I said, no. She said, you better turn it on. I said, why? She said, because they shot him. I said, who'd we shoot this time? In a joking manner, because we were in a shooting mood at that time. We had already shot JFK. We were on our way to do some more shooting. And she said, Martin Luther King Jr. I'll never forget, as long as I live, what I felt in that moment. For just a moment, I would swear that the world stopped turning. He had been one of our heroes of the month and he wasn't about making things better for just black people. He was about making things better for all of us because we are all enslaved by the lie of race. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I didn't know what I would do the next day, but I got that teepee washed and dried and got the kids fed and sent them to bed. And then I laid the teepee out on the living room floor and I was ironing it and television was on. And there was Walter Cronkite saying to three leaders of the black community, when our leader was killed, his widow held us together. Who's gonna keep your people in line? Now imagine, Walter Cronkite up until that moment had been one of my heroes. I thought he knew everything, but he said to three black leaders that night, when our leader was killed, his widow held us together. Who's gonna to keep your people in line? I thought black people were my people. Mm -hmm. I was, I was horrified, so I changed the channel. And there was Dan Rather. Girls think you should feel sympathy for us white people because we can't feel the anger at this killing that you Negroes can. And at that point, I wadded the teepee up. I threw it into the door, into the closet. I closed the door on it, and I decided that the next morning, not only were my children going to hear about the killing of Martin Luther King Jr., but they were going to learn something that would keep them from ever being the kind of people who would say what, Mark, what Dan Rather and Walter Cronkite said that night. Yeah. And at that point, I decided that I would do what Hitler did. I decided that I would pick out a group of people based on, the phys on a physical characteristic over which they had absolutely no control, which was the color of their eyes. And that's what hit one of the ways Hitler decided who went into the gas chamber. I decided that the next morning, because most of the students in my class were blue-eyed and I'm blue-eyed, I would put brown-eyed people on top the first day of that exercise. And I would treat blue-eyed people the way we treat people of color. And those who are, are, are dis, that we have decided aren't really good citizens. I would treat my blue-eyed students that way and I would treat my brown-eyed students the way we treat most white people in this country. I didn't know how this exercise would work. If I had known how it would work, I wouldn't have done it. I would not have wanted to learn what I learned about myself the next day. I would not have wanted to learn what I learned about my fellow teachers or the administrators 
I didn't want to know that. I thought we were okay because I had read the book, I'm okay, you're okay. But what it really means is I'm okay and you'll be as okay as me when you are like me. Well, I learned that the next morning and I have never been the same and I never will be because I can't forget the kinds of things that happened that day. And I can't forget the kinds of things that the teacher said to and about my kids and what they did to my kids and to my parents. I'm not likely to forget those, but that's, we suffered it because of something I had done. People of color suffer it because of the ignorance of people who see something negative in the color of their skin. Imagine that. And people say to me after the, they've seen the films about what I do, how could you do that to the poor little children, those poor little white children? Don't you realize you could traumatize those children? And I say, wait a minute. That was done by one teacher in a controlled situation in a classroom. And it was going to end at the end of the day, at least. On the other hand, we do that to children of color prenatally. And for as long as they live, the whole society does on a minute by minute basis. And nobody thinks that it will ever end. And it won't ever end until people start hearing what Frederick Douglass said. Mm -hmm. You cannot change the situation by going along to get and you can't continue to simply follow the law when the laws are racist laws. You must not follow racist, sexist, ageist, homophobic, ethnocentric laws. You must change and justice for all of us, not just for those who are white and proper and, and preferably male. You're a so lawyer. True. Change the damn laws. I know. <laughs> what we do. I fight them every single day. You, and, but you shouldn't have to in 2020. I know. By 2020, we should have learned better. We know better. Why don't we do better? I could listen to you all day. Well, if you, if you stay on, you will listen to me all day because mm -hmm. I don't know when to shut up. And because when somebody be. asks me, but, but when some people ask me about racism, they say the strangest things. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not prejudiced. Some of my best friends are, are black. All right. And I say, a lot of black people. do you go to church with them? What? Yeah, no, people are like, I know a lot of black people. I've dated a black yeah, person. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. As if, see how, see the sacrifice I've made. That's what they're saying. And it ma doesn't matter. And you'll, they'll say to them, do you realize what you just said when you said that? And they'll say, that's not what I meant. And I say, look, remember this. It doesn't matter what you meant by what you said. What matters is how it is perceived. Mm -hmm. And if it can be perceived as racist, try something else. If somebody says to you, what you just said sounds racist to me, then you need to say, instead of saying, I didn't mean it that way, you need to say, I'm sorry, I won't say that again. I'll take that out of sorry. my vernacular. You're, you're guaranteed that nobody will ever have hear me say, I don't see people as black or brown or red or yellow. I just see people as people. Teachers say that in classes all day, every day. And students have the right to say, um, you forgot to put white in there because we never include white in that list of colors that we don't see. When I see people, I don't see people as black or brown or red or yellow. I just see people as people. In other words, the only people who are people are those who are of color. They need to be told that white isn't a color because it, <laughs> black is the presence of all colors.
scientifically. White is the absence of all colors. Colors. Think about that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and what color is the shirt that I'm wearing? White. Then what color, color. is my skin? Then what color is my skin? A little tan. A little tan. Thank you very much. It ain't white, is it? No. Not white. Not white. And when I say that to a group at, a, at the college level, I say to the group, people, see, the, see where my shirt stops and my skin begins? Yeah. What color is my shirt? And they say, why? And I say, and what color is my skin? Total mm -hmm. silence. And then some fool, liberal white women will say, peach, it's peach. And I say, darling, if you find a peach this color, don't buy it. <laughs> it is a very sick peach. I am not peach. I am a light tan. We are all shades of tan and brown and black. Get over it. I agree. So after everything that you've seen, maybe, sorry, after everything you've seen, where do you think we are in the progression to end racism? We're on the edge of a cliff. We were nearing the edge of a cliff in the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. And we got the kind of leadership during those years that said, I don't approve of racism. I was doing a speech at a college in California and my daughter was there in front and was sitting in front of a bunch of young men. And they were talking about how they want, one of them said, I'd like to go up there and, and shoot her and, and rape her. And the other one said, I just like to rape her. And my daughter went to the, security people who were standing at the end of the row that she was sitting in and she told them what was going on and they headed for those guys and those guys climbed over the backs of their seats and ran out of the building with the security men behind them you you don't you when you do this work you stick your head above the parapet and somebody's going to try to shoot it off yeah i did I when you stand up people. when you fight yeah. for anything yeah yeah if you just just maintain a low profile and nobody will notice that you're there. I'm sorry. That doesn't work for me. And I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. I take that back. Not I'm not sorry. sorry. It doesn't work so for me. And it doesn't work for black people. They have been careful. And they have been, they have been, they have be lived within the law. And every time something like this happens, when they, re when they react negatively and violently, we accuse them of being less than human but they have been exposed to violence and ugliness all their lives. All their A lives. A group of, of um, midwives asked me to work with them in Los Angeles, in a hospital, from working in a hospital. And they asked me to come and talk to them. And I said to the woman on the telephone, why would you ask me to do that? I'm not a medical person. I know how to be delivered of a baby. I've done, I did that four times in five years, but I don't know how to deliver babies. This is, not my, this is not my sphere of influence or knowledge. She said, that's not what we want to talk about. We want you to talk to us because we are all registered nurses. We have all worked in delivery rooms. And we know that women, brown and black women, are not treated the same in delivery rooms that white women are. We start with you prenatally. Mm -hmm. And we do it to you until you die. And however you die, it's, you know as well as I do that there are pale males in this country today saying about that man being killed. Well, that's one, that's one less to worry about. You know it and so do I. Yeah. You think it so. isn't happening, wake up. You've been in dreamland long enough, wake up. This, is. This, is your, this is your alarm clock, folks. This is the thing that is telling you 
change your behaviors because here's what's wrong with with pale males right now they are absolutely aware of the fact that the demographics of this country say within 30 years white people will have become a numerical minority in the united states of america we will be outnumbered by people other people of color that is scaring white males out of their skins because they are afraid that they lose their numerical majority they will lose their power and if you think i'm lying about that go with me to any college campus and on the stage and i'm standing on the stage talking and invariably some liberal white female will say well if they get power aren't they going to want to do less what we've done to them and i say well, if you would ask that question that means you know what you've done to them don't you that's yeah. not what i meant i say wait a minute let's deal with that you're afraid that if black people get power they're going to want to treat you the way you've treated them right well, well yeah. the way some of us have i say okay to them then to the audience i say and i was on the stage with oh i can't remember her name but she was wonderful and at the university of houston 1,500 students and instructors. I said, all right, now, well, every black person in this room who wants to get even with all white folks, if you're black and you want to get even with all white folks, please stand. Three young black males stood up. And the rest of them turned and looked at him like, what is your problem, fool? And these white folks looked so relieved. Wow, I said, see, they don't want to get even with all of us. Relax. But I said, let's be honest about this. Well, every black person in this room who wants to get even with one or two white people Please stand. Every one of those people, students of color, jumped to their feet, high-fiving one another and a cheering, and they were just delighted. And, and I said, see, <laughs> you see what's happening here? I said, they don't want to get even with all of us. Every one of them wants to get even with one or two of us. Now, if you want to be comfortable and treated fairly in the future, all you have to do is don't be one of the one or two they want to get even with. Mm -hmm. Treat them the same way. Treat, you want yeah, treat people fairly and they won't have anything to get even with you for. Does that make sense to you? And they all nodded. And then some fool had the audacity and the ignorance to say, just believe in the golden rule. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's deal with the golden rule, shall we? Well, yeah. I said, <laughs> the golden rule says, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. I don't have the right to treat young black males or young white males or young women of any color. Or, or creed the way I want to be treated. I have to be that that rule came up in Chinese philosophy and at that time it said treat others as they want you to treat them. We have to practice the platinum rule which says do unto others platinum. as others would have you do unto them. Because I don't have the right, when I get on a plane and I've got a piece of luggage to put in the overhead rack, some young male will say to me, can I put that up for you, ma'am? And I say, thank you very much. Your parents did a good job on you. And they put the luggage up. If I get on a plane and there's a young white male or a young male of any kind there who says to me, who, to whom I say, can I put that piece of luggage up for you? He's going to say, thank you, but I can handle it myself. He doesn't want to be treated the way I want to be treated. He isn't my size. He isn't my gender. He isn't my age. I cannot treat children the way I want to be treated. They won't know what to do with it. And I can't allow children to treat me the way they want to be treated, but I have to treat them the way they want to be treated. I have to do that. I believe in the platinum rule. And I believe that and I believe the platinum, platinum rule where it says platinum rule, platinum rule, do unto others as others would have you do unto them. But in order, order to find out how they want to be treated, you have to ask them, you have to listen to the answer. Listen. And then if what they ask you to do it, do isn't indecent, illegal, or obscene, you have to do it. 
but the mm -hmm. platinum rule says we must communicate with one another. That's what the platinum rule is all about. And the golden rule is all about do it my way or hit the highway. But we yeah. don't treat others the way we want to be treated. You know that as well as I do. We do not treat know. people of color the way we white folks want to be treated. I want to prove you have proof of it today and what's happening today. Oh yeah. It's exactly what we see. And people who are outraged from what they saw, but there are people who are not, and they're not asking that question. What if it was someone you knew? What if it was you? What what if it wasn't black? I mean, I know they that will, they will say to you, I'd never act that way. I'd never kill anyone. Yeah, you kill never one, do that. you kill people. I would never get myself in that position, happened. is what yeah. they would say. A lot yeah. of them say, I, I would never do that. I don't fraud stores. I wouldn't get arrested. I'm like, all of us are capable of being that person on the ground, getting our neck. And that's, and that's the fear. That's the fear. Yeah. You are going to leave, live with the consequences of your behavior. Our behavior Absolutely. has been racist, sexist, ageist, homophobic, and ethnocentric. We are going to live with the consequences thereof. We better change our behaviors. Mm -hmm. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what you say about me. I care about how you treat me. You can be just as racist and sexist and ageist and homophobic and ethnocentric as you want to. But when you're around me, you'd better keep it to yourself because I will confront you. You make a racist remark when you, <laughs> you know how that feels. I did it to you because, because a black woman called me day before yesterday and I corrected her five times and she said, I have learned so much from this. I didn't realize how bad it was. I said, you've That's lived how I feel. That's how I felt yeah. talking to you. I mean, yeah. I thought I was, I, I, I just felt like I, I understood my color, my place. Like I, one of the very first memories I ever have is learning about Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. And feeling just disgusted and mm -hmm. enraged and appalled that we did that. And that as much as we say violence should not be the answer, but violence is what has changed everything. Like, yes. what made the difference between Martin Luther King for what he was saying before and what actually happened, his dream became a reality because of the violent death that shook people, changed people. Um, and so many people are so complacent. So that's when you talked about it before. It really resonated with me. When I had the conversation with you before we got on, I felt you corrected me so many times and I was like, I have so much more to learn. Well, yeah, yeah, because, but you have learned a lot, but it's all wrong. Yes, <laughs> you're right. I've learned a lot, but it's all wrong. That's what I mean. You've learned a lot. But most of it was based on a lie, which is the lie of white superiority. It is a flat-out lie, which is the lie of more than one race, which is what these folks who are, oh, good Lord, these folks who are going around the country preaching white privilege and reciting mm -hmm the white privilege list, the list of white privileges. Have you seen that list? Mm -hmm. I have, I have. Look at numbers five, six, seven, eight, 10, 14, 20. Any one of them will say, I can do this and this and this and not be criticized because of my race, because of my race, because of my race. Well, when she wrote that list, the person who wrote it, who was, <laughs> anyway, um, a college professor, didn't realize that there's only one race. But you see, if she, as a white person, can do all these things because of her race, then everyone can do all those things because we're all members of the same race. That fact totally destroys that list of white privileges because what it really is, is a list of white ignorance. Mm -hmm. Oh, isn't that right? 
Yeah, and so, right? so you see here, you know, and I know a young man who is, and everybody's really impressed with him, he isn't as young as he was, but ever since I think 1989 or something, he's been going around the country talking about this wonderful list of white privileges. Somebody needs to tell him, wait a minute. That is based on the idea that there are several different races. And I have these privileges because of my white race. There's no white race. There are only shades of brown and black. Get a woman. A woman, yes. <laughs> if I've learned. Okay, the last thing before I let you go. I watched your YouTube. It was a little snippet about being black. Do you remember that? I'm sure you've done so many different things. It was, you literally talked about, would you want to be black? From the way that you treated them, I think it was like putting yourself in their position. Do you remember when you did that talk? I did that. I did that on the stage in a college in California. Yeah. And I said, would you want to be, if you would like to be treated as black people, if you're white and you would like to be treated the way we treat black stand people up. in this country for the rest of your life, please stand. And there's a young woman there playing with her hair and she, her eyes look at each, the people on each side of her as if to say, if she, if they stand, I will. Nobody stood. It was absolutely brilliant. Not brilliant on my part, but brilliant on the part of those who filmed it, who allowed and who kept that piece of that film and put it out. Because that's a that is a good that's a good example of yeah you know what you're doing you know it's wrong you know you wouldn't want it to happen to you and I said and if you don't want it to happen to you why are you so willing to allow it to happen to people of color and it was just as if everyone was frozen in place mm -hmm. nobody moved you could have heard a feather fall I'll never forget you have time for this yeah. I did an exercise at a university in the Midwest and the, all the audience members, 250 audience members were all head uh, department heads and administrators. And as they introduced me, some white liberal woman in the audience said, why do we have to talk about differences? Uh, uh, similarities are more important than differences. Why are we talking about differences? I said, let me show you why we're talking about that. So I just pointed at a tall young white male standing there and said, will you come up here please? Yeah, and there was a really tall black female, beautiful black female sitting down. I said, would you come up here too please? So they both, and I didn't know who they were or anything about them. So I said, all right now people. And I was thinking, let's see if they can pass this test. I said, now folks, what's the first difference you see here? And those people said height. I said, that's the first difference you see, absolutely. So I said to this tall white male, is your height important to you? Well, no. I said, wait a minute. Would you rather be your height or mine? Well, mine. Well, then let's ask this question again. Is your height important to you? Well, yes. I said, does your height give you power? Yes, it does. Okay, all right. Now I asked this black woman the same question. Is your height important to you? She said, yes, but there are some other issues to deal with. I said, we're going to deal with them. Don't worry. I said, does your height give you power? No, because there are other issues to deal with. I said, we'll deal with it. So I said, so height is an important difference. His, his height is important to him. See any other differences here? So they said age, treated the same way. His age wasn't important to him. And I said, well, it should be because you're going to learn, you're going to die partially because of your inability to realize that you really aren't as strong as you think you are, but that's all right. But your age is important. You asked the black woman, no, but, eh. but she said, we have other issues to deal with. So they said, do you see any other differences here? So they said, gender. 
I said to this guy, is sex important to you? And he said, well, yeah. And then his face got really red and I turned him into a man of color immediately. And the audience all howled. <laughs> I said, let me, put that, let me put that another way. It is important to you that you're male. Well, yes. I said, is there anything you're afraid of? No, I'm not afraid of anything. So I said to the woman, is it important to you that you're female? Yes, but now, do you see any else here? And finally, somebody said, color, this white man. Is your skin color important to you? And he said, I never have to think about it. And I thought, oh, you silly fool. You should not have said that. I said, did you, did you earn your color? No. Is it an award? No. Is it a physical characteristic over which you have no control? Yes. And does it give you power? Absolutely. Is there anything you're afraid of now? No, I'm not afraid of anything. So I said to this black woman, is your skin color important to you? She said, and paused a long time. Then she said, I'm going to say something now that I've never said before. And she was over six feet tall, looking down at me. She said, I'm going to say something I've never said before. And I said, and that is, and, and that's because, she said, because I'm ashamed of it. I said, and that would be, she said, and I'll never forget this. She said, I've been pregnant two times. Both times when I was pregnant, I prayed that I wouldn't have a son. And I said, and that's because, and by this point, there was one tear slowly coursing its way down that, and, she, and I said, to go through about what I have to do, go through when I lost him. There wasn't a sound in that audience. You could have heard a feather fall. The only sound that was being made it was the man standing next to me who was going to be you deserve just what you're getting right now this is called education every woman in that room was crying somebody came up and handed this black woman a tissue and i said now people this woman just taught you more with two sentences mm -hmm. than i could have taught you talking to you the rest of the day people the next time you hear the star spangled banner and you come to the last sentence which says Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave, or the land of the free? And I pointed at that white male, and the home of the brave. You want to think about what you learned here today. It was like, all right, people, you came to be educated, but you thought you were just going to spend the day in one another's reflected glory, letting one another know how brilliant we all are. And you're going to leave here wiser than you came in. Not because of anything I said. Not because I was there. Not because of what I did. Not because of what they were paying me. But what, because of what that brave black woman had the courage to say in front of that group of mostly white people. And this is what black women do all day, every day. My heroes. And when somebody calls me a hero, I say, wait just a minute. You better think again. My heroes are black women because they live with this garbage 24 seven, every day of the week. And they keep on keeping on in spite of what we do to them. They have developed coping skills. The youngest black girl has more coping skills than I have as a white woman at my age and with all this education and with all this what we call fame. Every black woman in this country knows more than I will knows more than I do, and most of them have forgotten more since breakfast than I will ever learn. Because they can afford to forget it, they have to forget it. If they're going to survive in this society and maintain their sanity, they have to forget the
the ugly little slights that happen to them every day of the week. And I know how that goes because for a little, you know, I did this exercise deliberately and not knowing what was going to happen, but I continue to do it now because I know what's going to happen. I know what people are going to say about me and to me and what they talk about, what they'd want to do to me. I know all that, but that was my choice. I chose this life. Black women have no choice. It is forced upon them and their children by an ignorant society that calls itself the leaders of the Western world. We are leading in the wrong direction. direction. I can't believe it. Jane, you have been remarkable. And I know you don't want to be called a hero, but I will tell you that it's amazing to see you stand up when so many sit down and to stand up for so many years when it was impossible. So to me, you're a hero. You're an educator. And thank you for fighting back and educating people every day. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Don't get it twisted. Huh? I'm on my mission. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. New